scripture, sing a song, and to, as we say, jibber-jabber. And read a chapter. Yeah, you said that, right? Yeah. Well, read a chapter. Oh, I don't know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if anybody out there knows, knows what you said, please write it on the back of a $50 bill and just mail it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to start today with a scripture reading from Matthew. Matthew. 26. We're going to look at verses 69 through 75. Now, this is a story we're all familiar with, and it's a story that relates to our own walk with the Lord in many ways. I mean, how many times have we as believers said, oh, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this, you know, whatever it is. I'm going to fast. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to quit swearing. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit doing whatever. I'm going to do this positively. I'm going to start doing this. And then we kind of fall down on the, on the job. I don't know about any else but it's been a, it's so easy it is to just you know? slide back into the old routine you know and then what helped me when that first happened to me because when I got saved I mean I didn't I didn't sin or make a mistake for at least two or three years you know, <laughs> and I was, <laughs> and that really helped well, for lead, me it was more like five or six <laughs> and it helped lead me into my Pharisee period where you know anybody who was making a mistake oh my god you know my judgmental oh period. yeah 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 but then when I made a stumble that I knew was a stumble we call some call that sin <laughs> you know but when I had my first stumble had my problem had my sin it made me appreciate the book of Judges because oh. when I first read the book of Judges you know and the, the whole thing is the Israelites come in strong for the Lord then they fall away and God punishes them they cry out and he rescues them and then a generation later they fall away from them again and then he punishes them and it's over and over and over and I remember the first time I read it right after I got saved you know, I decided, well, I better read the whole Bible. You know, and I started reading, and I got to Joshua. And I read that, and I remember thinking, oh, them Israelites. Joshua or Judges? Joshua. Did I say Judges before? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. I meant Joshua. <laughs> you know, uh, so I, I I remember thinking, well, those Israelites are just lucky I'm not God, because I would have stepped all over them. I would have got rid of them. Boy, they can't do that. But then when I had my first stumble mistake sin, I realized, ooh, it's kind of a good thing that God listens to us when we call out and cry out from the pit Amen. and he brings us back up because it happens more than once I think everybody yeah. you know the greatest saint who's ever lived I believe has stumbled I know Paul says in his works that he he had and you know he said oh wretched man that I am mm -hmm. who's going to save me from myself you know but anyhow this is a story about Peter and starting in chapter 26 of Matthew at the 69th verse it says all this time Peter was sitting out in the court one servant girl came up to him and said, You were with Jesus of uh, the Galilean. In front of everybody there, he denied, I don't know what you're talking about. As he moved over toward the gate, someone else said to the people there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again he denied it, salting his denial with an oath. I swear, I never laid eyes on the man. Shortly after that, some bystanders approached Peter. You've got to be one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he got really nervous and swore, I don't know the man. Just then a rooster crowed. Peter remembered that Jesus had said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went 
went out and cried and cried and cried. Mm. Now remember, Peter, in every list of the apostles given in Scripture, Peter's listed first. You know, he's like the, the main guy or something. You know, and he's always ready to jump. He's the one who got out of the boat to walk on the water. He's the one who, when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the Messiah God. He's one of the ones that went up on the temple on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. He's the one who shouted out, oh, Lord, let me build three temples there and all this stuff. You know, Peter's always doing that. Well, at the Last Supper and after that in the garden, when Jesus was getting ready, you know, he knew his, his ordeal was coming about. Jesus said, I'm, I'll stay with you. Even though all the rest run away, I'm going to stay with you. Well, it tells us in Scripture that when Jesus was arrested, they all deserted him. They all deserted him, Peter included. But Peter and John followed along after him to the chief priest's compound. Now, it turns out John knew the chief priest somehow, and he spoke to the doorkeeper and got Peter in. So here, out of all the disciples, and it wasn't just the 12, there was over 150 that followed him everywhere. We know that from the passage in Acts. But Peter and John followed him, went, went there with him. But when they were in the courtyard, here's Peter. He says, he says you know, I'm going to stand beside you no matter what. But when he's questioned about it, he denies it. Because he sees Jesus got arrested. He must have been afraid of getting arrested. I deny it. Yeah, I don't know what else he could have been afraid of. Well, getting arrested is a drag. Yeah, I know it is. <laughs> you know, especially back in those days. Sure. I mean, you know, you got arrested. Oh, let's throw, let's stone him. Yeah. You know, let's hang him from the cross. Let's, you know, that was not very pleasant. I mean, it's not pleasant today. There was no holding cells. There was no holding cells. <laughs> there was, you know, or, or they could throw you in and torture you. They could do anything to you. They wanted. But Peter makes this decision that he's going to deny Christ. Yeah, it was a decision. That's right. It was a decision. Exactly. And not just once. Three times. Three times. You know, and he just, and it says he swore an oath. You know, I, I, I swear, I don't know who this guy is. You know, and Jesus had made a prophecy, you might say, that before the rooster crowed, you'll deny me three times. And, but then notice at the end what it says. He went out and cried and cried and cried. Three times he cried. Bitterly. Bitterly. It says that in another translation, wept bitterly. New King James. You know, uh, looking at that, you know, there's a, a symmetry about three. The trilogy, you know, things like that. Ah, there's yes. a symmetry about three yes. in the Bible. And here we see Peter denying Christ three times. And then he cries three times, you know. And we look at our own lives. When we turn, you know, sin, fall, stumble, whatever we want to call it, you know, we have moved away from our closest point with Christ. But there's a difference between that and denying Christ. Mm. There's a difference between, you know, I swore, I sinned, I said I'd never smoke again, and I did. There's a difference between that, I believe, and denying Christ, you know. Uh, what do you think? Well, that would be, yeah, that's like the difference between sin, because the other, you know, doing the, I, I'm not going to smoke anymore or whatever, and then you do, that's almost sin. Denying Christ is, I don't know what you would call it. Well, what it relate, relates, makes me think about is in First John, where he says there are sins that lead unto death, huh. and there are sins that don't, where they come up with the idea of uh, a venial sin oh, yeah, and a mortal sin. sin. Yeah. And that's where that whole thing comes from, is First John, where he says there are sins. Don't pray for those who have sinned unto death, because there is a sin that leads unto death. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first became a believer and read that, I was I figured, oh my God, you know, because I had committed every sin I could think of, at least tried to, if, if I hadn't succeeded. I figured, well, if there's a sin that leads to death, I must have already done that. But by saying there's mortal sin and 
venial sin, so it isn't a sin as a sin as a sin as a sin. It's separated out. I'm not so sure I believe so that one is greater than the other. Then why does John, in his letter in the Bible, say there are sins that lead to death and sins that don't? Well, I don't know, because it just almost leaves an open door for people to sin. And they can say, oh, it wasn't a bad sin, so it's okay. True. And that is what people have done over the years with the idea of venial sins and mortal sins. But when I had that crisis and I went to my mentor at the time and talked to him, how he explained it to me was, well, the mortal sin is denying Christ and turning away from Christ. Every other sin can be forgiven. But if we deny Christ, if we deny the Holy Spirit, we can't be forgiven because we have thrown, we have denied the very one who is the only one who can forgive us. See, now I'm having a hard time wrapping that around my head because I think Christ would forgive if we ask. If we ask. But the, the thing is, if you deny Christ, at that point, you are not asking, you're denying. Yes, I believe too. If you deny Christ, if you come back and say, oh Lord, I repent, yeah. then it becomes a sin that is not unto death because you have repented of it. In other words, a sin that is a sin unto death mm -hmm. is the sin we haven't repented of. Uh -huh. And, you know... That I understand. Okay. That I can go with. Oh, okay. How about anybody out there? Have you checked <laughs> that off your list? Have you wrapped your head around it? I mean, come on now. <laughs> Well, now what I want to do is keep this in your mind. Okay, here's Peter. He denied Christ three times. He went out and he cried three times. Mm -hmm. You know, in other words, when he cried, I imagine, I believe he was asking for forgiveness and he was repenting. Mm -hmm. But then cut over to John 21, the last chapter of John, the very end of John, really. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And what this is, after the resurrection, after Christ rose from the dead, he said, meet me in Galilee. So the disciples went to Galilee to meet Jesus. And in this right here before this, it says they're out fishing. And he had they'd caught a bunch of fish. And it was one of those times when Jesus, you know, they, was there and they, they swam over. And Peter, of course, everybody else is rowing into shore. Peter throws out, he jumps in, swims the shore. He gets there first. And they pull the, the nets on there. Boy, and they got all these fish. But Jesus is already cooking some fish. So then they get down and they sit there and they eat with him. This is after he's resurrected in Galilee. And starting in the 15th verse, it says, After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. Then he said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked him for a third time, do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. And when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. <clears throat> he said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he commanded, Follow me. Well, now what I really want to point up here, there are several things in here, but is that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? He denied him three times. He repented three times. Jesus asked him three times. Now, the Catholic Church takes this passage and calls it the charge of Peter, and that Peter said, do you love me more than these, meaning the other disciples, you know, talking, making him primary again, and saying that this is what makes Peter, who they call the, the first bishop of Rome, the ancestor of the Pope, you might say. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, that's Catholic 
Catholic theology and thought, and I'm not making any judgment on that. I'm just saying that's what they say. What I'm looking at here is that three times chart. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. You know, follow me. And Jesus is showing, I think, by this, that the worst sin we can commit, denying him, he will forgive. Right, if we ask. That's what I really think the whole story sums up, mm -hmm. is that if we repent, he cried three times, Jesus will forgive us. Do you love me? Well, then shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Follow me. And I think he's speaking that not just to Peter, but to all of us believers, that there's no sin that we can commit that is so, so terrible that he won't forgive us and he won't use us. Feed my sheep shepherd my sheep. There's no sin that we can commit that's so terrible. He won't include us in his family. Follow me. And I really believe that if we will repent of our sins, if we will turn away from our sins, no matter how bad they are, Jesus is right there. His spirit is right there to touch us and engulf us, to cleanse us, and to use us. And I just thought it was very important that we, we point this out, and I, I hope it means something to somebody. Don't hesitate to repent. Right. Don't hesitate to cry out and repent. Right. I know sometimes, you know, I remember being a person myself thinking, well, I, you know, I'm so far from God if I walked into a church and really would fall. Oh, yeah, I hear that. And we've all heard people say that and said it ourselves, probably. Well, that's, that's a, a prideful statement saying, my sins are so great, that's right. God can't forgive me. That's a sin of pride. <laughs> it is. That is a sin of pride. Yeah. And, and also, you know, it's when we get to a place where we, we sin and we just, that makes us turn away because we think we've, we've gone too far. Once again, it's the sin of pride. Mm -hmm. You know, if Christ is your, is our sin so great that it, oh, that, this one wasn't covered at the rock. Jesus left this one out. That's that's nothing but pride because Christ died to save every one of us from every sin. He carried the sin of all of humanity from the first Adam to the last human being Amen. on his shoulder, his brow, his back. Thank you, Lord. On that cross, you know, and we, you, we've just got to accept it. We've got to repent of our sins, turn to him, and allow him to heal us and to use us. Right. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hallelujah. Well, now we're going to play a song for you. I hope you're going to enjoy this. You just might find it relating to what we were just talking about. You know, it is called, He, he will, will sa save, oh, you save, save You Too. I'll say He Will Love You Too. Yeah, well, He'll Love You Too. But the name of the song is, He Will Save You Too. Hope you enjoy it. We will be back. Yay. Jesus, how he saved me, 
Hope you like that song. Um, it's one that has been in my head all week, except I kept singing it as the being, uh, I just want to talk about Jesus. <clears throat> the title of it is He Will Save You. Amen. That's, yeah. Amen. Same song. Same song. Just part of the song. Words of the song. Yeah. yeah. And just always remember, He will save you too. Just ask Him. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to read a chapter from America's Trojan War. Hope you enjoy this continuing saga and back in a minute. Chapter 17, Fighting Fire with Fire. Truck 27 continued to pick its way through burning cars and around craters in the street heading to St. Elizabeth. Since the attack by the snipers took out all the tires on the right side, the team from Firehouse 27 were forced to leave the squad vehicle behind. The members of the squad walked slowly, almost solemnly, behind the truck since there was nowhere to ride. Driving was slow because of the debris and because every moment they were expecting to have incoming rounds smashing through their windows. Stop and go, stop and go. They inched through the devastated residential neighborhood until Dogwood Street was completely blocked by a huge crater that was quickly filling from broken water mains. They hadn't encountered any more snipers since the skirmish at the metro station. Lisa and Lieutenant Edmondson continued to flank the truck on both sides, moving as quietly as possible from house to house. Seeing there was no way to go any further and that they were still several blocks from their objective, Lieutenant Edmondson heed the microphone that hung from his left shoulder and said, This is it. We aren't going to be able to make it to the hospital. Let's start with that house on the east side. Get some lines out. Start using the water in the truck. Jerry, you take the rescue team and see if there is anyone needing help in there. Immediately, the well-trained firefighters jumped to action, forgetting about possible snipers, ignoring the sounds of explosions and the smell of burning rubber, flesh, and tar shingles. They efficiently began accomplishing their task. Knowing that with his best friend, Lieutenant Williams, dead, the next in command of squad was Johnny Richardson. Edmondson said, Johnny, take your men and figure out how we can pump water from the crater for a backup once the truck runs out. Lisa was just about to leave her place of concealment when stage four exploded into reality with the local impact of a supernova when one of the high explosive rounds made a direct hit on truck 27. Seconds later, an incendiary shell landed at the far end of the same block and with a spray of napalm and magnesium, a dozen houses suddenly changed from the cherished homes of families into their funeral priors. The concussion knocked Lisa down and out. When she came to, there was blood already drying in her ears. She had been cut on the wrist by flying glass shards, but she still had the AR-15 held tightly in her right hand. Shaking the cobwebs out of her mind, Lisa sat up. Looking from her post between two houses and behind some thick bushes, she could see a massive crater where moments before Truck 27 had stood. Knowing that with the truck gone, there was no base for her team radio system, she didn't waste any time trying to contact survivors. She crawled out from behind the bushes, stood up, and walked out to see the bodies and parts of bodies of her friends and co-workers spread all around the area. Slowly, others who could stand and walk emerged from the carnage. With no supplies, there was little they could do 
for the many more who were wounded. Lisa slowly picked her way over to where Lieutenant Edmondson had positioned himself behind a gazebo. She found him right where he had fallen, with a large piece of jagged glass protruding from the side of his neck. He was obviously dead. She had known Edmondson since the academy, and he was the one who brought her to Station House 27 right after he was promoted and took command of the main truck at the house. Looking at her fallen friend, she thought of his four children and his wife, who were now going to have to make their way without him. The anger rose in her until it was like a blinding light, picking up his AR-15 and taking one last look at her friend as the pool of his blood soaked the blood the lawn beneath him. She turned back to the street, enraged by the death of her friends, by the audacity of the invaders. She wanted to see who was going to help her take some death and destruction in the other direction. Walking up to the small band of firefighters who had survived first the sniper attack and now this total destruction of their ability to operate, operate as a firefighting unit, Lisa said, Who's going with me to kill some of these terrorist bastards? For a moment, no one said anything. Then Larry Johnson said, Hell, I'm going home and take care of my family. Me too, said Abel Osborne. Several others shook their heads in agreement. As if to justify his decision to go home, Abel said, There's nothing else we can do. All our equipment is toast, and in all this, waving his hand to indicate the chaos around him, who do we think is going to guard our houses and our families? Asked Betty DeCoste, the newest candidate at the house. Holding out the AR-15 she had taken off Edmondson's body, Lisa said, I get it. You all have families, and I can't blame any of you for wanting to take care of them. But I'm going to the hospital and see if there's anything I can do to kill every one of these monsters. Is there anyone who will go with me? Sharon Wells at five foot five and 130 pounds, the smallest person on the team, and the same one who had worked with Lisa to take out the sniper said, Count me in. Bruce Statler, Bob Munford from Truck 27, and Brian Billingham, the sole survivor of Squad, all said, Me too, holding out the AR, handing the AR-15 to Billingham because she knew he was a retired SEAL. Lisa pointed towards the hospital and said, let's go fight some fire with fire. They avoided the streets by jumping fences, circumnavigating pools, garages, and anything else that got in their way. They ran through backyards as they rushed to the sound of the guns. A few hundred yards beyond the burning fire equipment, they spotted two police cars that were sitting abandoned in the street. Stopping to look them over from a backyard, they could see the windows and tires were shot out. They could also see one officer slumped over his steering wheel and the body of others lying in the street. Come on, said Billingham, as he broke cover and sprinted to the cars. Take the guns and any ammo you can find, he said as he reached in the nearest car and grabbed a shotgun. The others were hurriedly taking sidearms and searching the bodies for backups. Moments later, with several rifles they found in, their tr in the trunks, two shotguns and at least one p pistol each, spare magazines, and some extra ammo, the fire team was once again running through backyards on their way to their appointment with Destiny. They could now see the buildings of the hospital looming up above the rooftops of nearby houses when suddenly they heard someone yell, Hold it right there! Instinctively, they all dropped to the ground, and with no direction or orders, they had weapons pointing in all directions. This is 
Washington PD. You are completely surrounded and outgunned. Who are you and where are you going? We're all that's left of the Firehouse 27 teams. All our equipment, most of our firefighters were taken out in an artillery barrage. So we're on our way to kill some terrorists, called Lisa called back. Lower your weapons and slowly get up. How do we know you aren't Islamist snipers, asked Billingham. At least one of you step into the open so we know who we're dealing with, Lisa added. Out from behind a large wheeled rubber garbage can that would have offered no actual cover from the AR-15s stepped a large man dressed in the uniform of a Washington PD sergeant who held his hands up and said, I'm Sergeant Bushings of the 25th Precinct. We're gathering forces for an attack about 200 yards from here. Will you join us? You're on your way to kill some of these no-good terrorist scum. We're with you, Billingham said as he got up without needing to consult with anyone on the fire team. They all stood up, and soon they were joined by more than a dozen uniformed officers and a few civilians with a variety of hunting rifles and shotguns in the backyard that had once been the peaceful sanctuary of a hard-working family. Come on, we'll lead you to the gathering place, Bushing said. With no further consultation, the combined group continued on through the backyards until they came to a larger open space that was formed by two backyards that had no fence to divide them. There, they joined a group of more than 70 men and women, most in police uniforms, few others in fire uniforms, and more than two dozen civilians. A man dressed in the uniform of a police lieutenant was standing on the back steps of the bigger of the two homes. He watched as the new group jumped the final fence into the gathering and then asked, do any of you have any combat experience? I did three tours in the sandbox and in Talibanistan, said Bill, Billing, and Billingham here is a retired SEAL, said Lisa. Great, we're splitting up into 10-man squads, and now we have enough combat vets to lead each team. The two teams that need, it, need a leader, raise your hands. The two pick a, you two pick a team, and everyone, listen up. Once Lisa and Billingham had moved into their teams, the police lieutenant continued. They have the perimeter fortified, and there are Bradleys interspersed with machine gun nests, and riflemen dug in and sheltered behind some cement road abutment. They have Abrams backed up into the hospital building itself. There are snipers on the roads. We've cleared out their snipers from the buildings around the perimeter, but there's no way to get at them except to cross open ground into concentrated fire. The people in the staging area were quiet as they thought about what they were going to face. Does anyone have any ideas how we can assault this place and not all die before we even get to the fence? An awkward silence greeted the lieutenant's question. Finally, Bellingham spoke up and said, We could get a few cars, start them up, tie off the steering wheels, block the gas pedals, and launch them at the perimeter from several locations. While they occupy the enemy, we charge from another location. That's a plan, said the lieutenant. Does anyone have anything to add? We could set rag fuses in all the cars and maybe find the stuff in these houses or garages to make some Molotov cocktails to use in our assault, one of the other team leaders offered. All right, let's get to it. You teams on the right side, get the cars ready. You on the left, get the Molotov cocktails ready. And someone said all of them had at least thought of. What about the patients and other hostages? Obviously, we need to try and avoid any collateral damage. But we can't leave them in there with these murdering terrorists. We have to try and do something, answered a man in civilian clothes holding a double-barreled shotgun that used to belong to his father. Either everyone agreed or at least no one made an objection. Let's go. Every moment counts. Who knows when they might unleash another salvo that takes us all out before we get the chance to at least do something about this unprovoked invasion of our homeland, said the lieutenant. 
with feverish activity the hodgepodge group of civil servants and civilians sent about getting ready for an assault that would make the charge of the light brigade look like a reasonable strategy. Okay, Robert, thank you so much for reading the book. Oh, it's getting better and better. Yeah. yeah. Don't not don't not stay tuned next week. <laughs> don't not do that. <laughs> You're gonna want to hear where this leads. Yeah. You can get all the books, not just that one, at Amazon.com or where Robert. Amazon.com. Oh. <laughs> you can get them just any anywhere that sells books online. Yeah. But Amazon.com is the the primary place. Just go to Amazon.com and in the search bar put in America's Trojan War, Doctor Robert Owen, and it'll pull it right up. And you can click on my name, and there you go. Do they spell out the word doctor? Either way. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, cool. Well, and we also want to let you know how to contact us. We were sitting here talking today, realizing that we talk to y'all, and you have no way to reach us if you want to comment on the program or give suggestions um, or hire us or send your $50 bill, as Robert says. They got to have somewhere to send that. So you can email us at my name, and I'll spell it for you R O S A L I E O W E N S at hotmail.com. That's Rosalie Owen at hotmail.com. Rosalie Owens is all one word. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll be back again soon. I took a right turn and it turned out